0: Everybody, welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Monday, the 13th of April, 2009.
1: Gun Rights Radio Network has the best pro Second Amendment, pro gun rights podcast available on the net. Available on the net. Available on the net. Available on the net. The podcasts are absolutely free, 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 free. When subscribing using iTunes or Zoom Marketplace, or if you want, you can just listen from the website. Make sure you visit gunrightsradio.com to subscribe. Podcasting freedom, 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 freedom. One episode at a
0: time. If you think it's not important to get out and tell our elected officials what we want. Here's a little sampling of what they can do on their own.
1: ...is allowing all of these entities that support this uh, to provide streaming stuff going on on the the internet. Now the internet, you know, let's go back. Internet started with, with a concept of local to local connections across the country uh, and and uh, you, you could go for Air Alaska, but you only had you had to go through conne- local connections to get there. The industry wisely provided for uh, streaming, uh, for in effect a new kind of long distance, and, and that's what we've got. We've got a, a service that's immune to distance, and it's there for the consumer. But, but when we take uh, uh, and uh, really uh, indicate that. Anyone that wants to use the, the, this system for massive, massive commu, uh, uh, commercial purposes, well, there's one company now you, you can you can get sign up and you got a, a a movie delivered to your house daily by 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 subscription ser by, by delivery service. Okay, uh, and and currently it comes to your house. It put in a mailbox when you get home and, and, and monthly you, you change your order but you pay for that right this service is now going to go through the internet and what you do is you just go to a place on the internet and, and you, you order your, your movie and guess what you can order 10 of them and it's delivered to you and this delivery charge is free right 10 movies streaming across that, that inter, internet and what happens to your own personal Internet? I just the other day got Internet was sent by my staff at 10 o'clock in the morning on Friday. I got it yesterday. Why? Because it got tangled up with all of these things that are going on the Internet commercially. And here we have this one situation where enormous entities want to use the Internet for their purpose to save money for doing what they're doing now. They use FedEx. They use the delivery services. They use the mail. They, 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 they deliver in other ways, but they want to deliver vast amounts of information over the Internet. And again, the Internet is not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's, it's a series of tubes. And if you don't understand, those tubes can be filled. And if they're filled, when you put your message in, it gets in line. It's going to be delayed by anyone that puts into that tube enormous amounts of material.
0: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is probably one of my quicker turnarounds. Um, my last show, I had done my kind of debunking or my take on what 2020 special was if I only had a gun, and that aired on Friday. I actually did a show on Saturday. Last night, my wife and I watched the 60 minute special or segment, I guess you could say, called Gun Rush. And what this was about was it started off saying, well, why is there uh, such an increase? In the sale of guns and ammunition right now. Um, their segment basically opened up with them showing and, and with her saying there's been, you know, eight deadly shooting sprees all across the country. And even though there is a big recession, people are paying top dollar prices for guns and ammunition. Before I get in too deep into the analysis of the show, or of the segment, excuse me, the question should be asked Did I think that? CBS and 60 Minutes had an agenda. Did I think that they presented both sides of the argument or both sides of the of the story? Now I did think that they had an agenda, and that when I very first watched it, basically what their agenda was to me, and again this is my opinion, it seemed like that they their whole special was to gain support for closing what they call the gun shoe, excuse me the gun show loophole. I thought that they, have, that they did something that most other major network and major media would not have done. They actually got both views and both sides of the issue. So on that, I thought they did good. Now, I still think that they had several parts that were very uh, disingenuous. I thought that they had um, uh, the way that they phrased things and some of the things that they did were designed to, to when they showed the pro-gun side, to kind of put that in a bad light. The gentleman that they entered from the pro-Second Amendment was a, a man by the name of Philip Van Cleve, and they said that he was president of Virginia's largest gun rights group, but I don't think they ever said what that was. Uh, one thing that I did notice during the, the interview with him is that he had a bright orange button that said, gun saves lives, that I kind of liked. They talked about, you know, the gun prices going up and the demand, you know, because the demand has gone up. One of the things that they did that I thought was a little unnecessary and, and was used, I think, to kind of put a, a bad light on on the Second Amendment community was they said that you may not necessarily agree with some of the memorabilia that you can find here. And then, of course, they showed, like, some Nazi pennants in the background. I think that those would have been more for, like, reenactors and things like that, but it... It still puts that you know it still has that it, it associates that Nazi symbol that swastika with the gun show, which I you know I I just thought that was a kind of a cheap shot. Leslie Stahl, who was the uh, the interviewer, asked Mr. Van Cleve, you know, is the is the poor economy the reason for the increase in gun sales and ammunition?s And he gave a, a pretty good answer. He said that you know look if We're being told all the time the economy's terrible, it's going to collapse. And he says the reality is if it did collapse and you were one of the persons who were fortunate enough to have built up some supplies of food and and water and things like that, that you're going to become a big target and that the ownership of a firearm is a good insurance policy and it's a good way to help protect yourself and your family. She also asked him about Barack Obama and him wanting to take away guns and reimpose the, uh, the assault weapons ban. He responded, I thought, uh, pretty well. He talked about, well, Barack Obama has had, if you look at his record when he was a senator in Illinois, he had a long record of being very anti-gun. She also asked, Well, do you think that the gun lobby, basically meaning, you know, the NRA and the other groups are behind this, that they're whipping up basically are they are they whipping up a frenzy and causing a lot of false expectations and things like that or, or drumming up a lot of fear? And he said no, he didn't think so. The next part is is when they start to get into where what I felt was more their point, which was they start talking about the gun show loophole. Before in the show they, they did they did show actual dealers and people who were buying guns were filling out the the form for the background check and what they also but then in this section they start talking about well if you buy from a private seller you don't have to go through the background check uh, then they trotted out some retired cop and his name was Gerald Massengill and he was saying that you know Virginia is the main source of guns and crimes uh, in other northern states where gun control is stricter. He says, you know, I don't understand why people, even if you're doing a private sale, why in this day and age you wouldn't want everybody who buys a gun to have a background check. And and again, this is part of the stuff where I, I felt that they were being disingenuous because they made it appear is that this would just do for maybe at a gun show. Um, but what they don't ever tell you is that if they did if they did stop private sales, it's not just at gun shows. It's all private sales. You can't transfer a firearm without having to go through some type of a background check or a dealer. Of course, then they're going to charge you, you know, 40, 50 bucks or whatever, especially if they know that they've got you over a barrel. You know, the gun shops are going to charge you probably a hundred bucks for that, or some of them would, maybe not at all. When they talked about the uh, there was a bill I guess shortly after Virginia Tech that was introduced to close the again I'll, I'll just call it what they call it the gun show loophole uh, or private sale of firearms and that failed and of course the images they show they show you know the bloody bodies they show um, one of the the members of that group who wants to close the uh, private sales. It was a girl who was a student there who was shot in, in the jaw and survived and and while I don't want to make it sound like I, devalue what they went through or their suffering or anything like that again it's an emotional ploy that they're using one of the things that they were talking about when they were talking to the people who wanted to end the private sales is they were saying well we just can't believe that it it happened and we can't believe that there's no background checks that anybody can go into a gun show and do it and then they uh, when they talked to went back to mr van cleve i th- I kind of got the impression that he gave more of an answer than they actually aired, and they kind of answered his first kind of glib thing that he said. And when when Stahl said, you know, well, how come how come everybody doesn't have to go through a background check? And then he says, well, why don't we make a thing to where nobody has to go through one? And the Second Amendment doesn't say anything about, you know, in order to own a firearm— you have to go through a background check. And then it looked like he was going to say some, some more stuff, but they, it looks like they kind of cut that off. But I think they aired that because it kind of gave him, it was almost like he was being glib. And maybe that was just kind of my take on that. I, if you, you guys should let me know what you think. Um, when they were talking about the, or to the guys that wanted to, in the private sale of firearms, they brought out the same kid who was actually, I called him Jamal on the other show, but his actual name was Omar. Uh, whose his sister had been was an unfortunate victim, um, and they brought him out and they asked him, "Did you?" Leslie Stahl asked him, "Did you have to show your ID?" And he said, "No, I didn't." And then she asked, "Did anybody even ask you for identification? Were you even asked?" And he said, "Well, I was asked, but I refused." And she said, "Well, what happened?" And she said, "Well." They either, then he replied, they either sold me the gun anyway or they asked for $50 more and then they'd let me have the, the weapon and they'd sell it to me. But what I noticed, what he actually said on the 2020 special was he only said that one person had asked him for any identification. So when he was talking to Leslie Stahl, he actually said that several people had, or more, or he made it. it what he was saying was basically more than one person had. And then on the 2020 special, he said that the person said, well, give me $100 more and I'll let you have the gun. But on the 60-minute special, he said, they either sold me the gun anyway or they would ask for $50 more. So he's he's kind of given, you know, some, some contradictory statements on that. Now, at this part, to Stahl's credit, She actually brings up the fact that the shooter of Virginia Tech, that he did go through a background check. And then his answer, and so she said, well, so his stuff was legal. He didn't buy it from basically a private seller. This was the point. And then his answer to that, and this is a quote, was, but the next show will go to a show because it's that simple. And one thing I, I found interesting is they when I was re-watching the show and and taking my notes for today, I watched his expression. And when she brings up the fact that Cho didn't have, or that he had a background check, and, you know, the guy kind of, he looks down, and he kind of bites his lip a little bit, and it's a real brief expression. But you can tell he's like, "Uh uh-oh, you know, okay, how do I answer this type of thing? And, And if your answer to that is, yeah, but the next Cho will go to a show because it's easy for him to get a gun, well again it just didn't hold much water so then they go on and they talk about you know one side you know the pro side says there needs to be more firearms the other side says there needs to be less or more gun control uh when they interviewed uh mr van uh, what was his name again van van cleave Um, he was saying look if there had been you know one person who was 21 years or older and had a permit and that's a, a direct quote and that's what he makes the point that it probably would have ended differently. And then he says, look, when the police showed up and Cho knew that the police were coming, he killed himself. It it ended. And he said that if there had been anybody else there to offer any resistance, that it he was convinced, and I am too, that Cho would have killed himself. And you see that in a lot of these other incidents, that when resistance is met, these guys, they run away, they surrender, or they kill themselves. So Stahl kind of brings up that old argument of Oh, but arming all those young people, basically, again, trying to shift the thing and saying, look, these are just little children, and, and making it sound like that when when you enroll in college, you're going to actually be given a firearm. And then he tries to bring it back, and he, and then he, he kind of says, well, I wonder, to her kind of all these young people response, he says, well, I wonder who is fighting for us in Iraq. And then she kind of, you know, shakes her head a little bit and says, but you could have a lot of them be like Cho, and then he replies, "Then you'll have a lot of 21, 22, 23 year olds and older to make sure that he doesn't get very far." And that's one of the points that I thought that they could have brought up, but that they didn't was that people would need the, the people who would be armed on campus would be 21 years old, would have a concealed carry permit, would have gone through a background check, would have in many cases and, and been fingerprinted. But but you know they didn't do that. Then the next part in the show, they go back to uh, the girl who was for the ending of of the private sale. They talk to her about their gun show loophole closing bill didn't pass, and she said, "Well, the you know the uh, the gun con- the gun lobby must have a very strong base in Virginia." As they're talking to her, they they bring up kind of points of you know they'll say uh they're bringing up the things oh the mexican drug cartels all along our southern border and then they talked about that the police that were gunned down uh and some were done by assault weapons then they on the on the screen then they go back to her at the gun show and she's talking to one of these guys who would be a private sale guy she asks a man who has an ar-15 she goes is it an assault weapon And that part you hear very clear. And then she starts doing a voiceover and they lower the volume on what his reply is. So you can't hear what he's saying. But at the very end of it, and it's very, very quick, he must have said something to her like, well, an assault weapon is full auto, this is semi-auto. Because at the very end of it, you hear her say, that's a semi-auto. But, I mean, it's so brief. and And I thought that they could have you know, explain the difference in that, but they didn't. And then they bring in kind of uh, the big guns, so to speak, and no pun intended, they bring in Feinstein. Now she says exactly what you expect her to say. She goes, you know, oh, there's a drug cartels, there's gangs, there's mentally ill, all these people are, you know, getting these guns at the gun and there are too many people are armed. And she's saying that the police are outgunned because all these, the the gangs and the mentally ill and the drug cartels, all have you know these assault weapons, so-called assault weapons, and that's just a lie. That's just not true. Um, and then she goes on to say she was at the funeral of four slain police officers, but and and I'm not trying to again trying to devalue the sacrifice that the that the police officers made, but does does she? How many funerals did she attend where someone was killed by a drunk driver, or someone was stabbed to death, or somebody got drunk and beat their wife to death, or beat their kid to death, uh, or OD'd on drugs? She didn't talk about going to those people's funerals, and that happens every single day. They had, then they showed uh, Dick Durbin, he's a representative from Illinois. And so you can guess what his position on guns, and he's like, oh, we don't debate guns anymore, you know, we used to, but now we just don't want to stick out our necks politically, and blah, blah, blah. And he's, you know, shaking his head and looking all befuddled and confused, and it's just like, you know, you got to be kidding. And what he was really saying is, we can't really just pass any gun control we want anymore. Uh, We're meeting resistance. You know, the people of this country don't want that to happen. But he doesn't want to make it sound like that. Then they go on and they talk about the 94 election, and when they interviewed kind of Mr. Van Cleese again, he said, look, uh, you know, a lot of the Democrats were kind of kicked out of power, and then she was she was saying, Stahl was saying, basically making the point that all the Demi- the Democrats got booted out, and then he was saying no. He said that a lot of the Democrats did get booted out, but there were also a lot of Republicans who were anti-gun that got booted out, and that not all Democrats are anti-gun, and that a lot of the Republicans that got replaced were replaced with Democrats that were uh, pro-gun. Let me double back a little bit here, and I want to talk about, again, the, uh, the thing with Feinstein when she was talking about going to the police officers' funerals, and the point that I made that she probably wouldn't have gone to somebody's funeral who had been stabbed to death, We all know the reason behind that is because that doesn't sync up with her political agenda. It's not going to further any type of assault weapons ban or any type of more restrictive gun control laws for her. A little later in the interview, Leslie Stahl is speaking with her again. Before I go into what they were actually saying, I think they give the NRA a lot more power than it has and they kind of demonize it and and it's not to take away from any lobbying or or the power that the NRA does have but it's like they want to make it this it's like it's this big faceless corporation but the reality is what the NRA is is the NRA is members like me like you like the guys at the gun dudes like Eric like Mark that's what the NRA is you know, all us guys at the podcasting, all the people that are members, all the people that are pro-Second Amendment and that are gun owners, that's basically what the NRA is. So keep that in mind when, when I give a few quotes of what she was saying. And this is a, a direct quote from the show. Feinstein says, The NRA essentially has a stranglehold on the Congress. And of course, again, that's not true because what she is really saying is that we, the gun owning—excuse uh, me—the gun owning voters, are—we're um, too aware and we're too powerful now as a voting block. Stahl asks her, "Well, in this current political climate, if—if if that's true, if—if if there is all this outside pressure, has anybody in the Democratic Party asked you to back off or to—to?" To, you know, put things on the back burner. And she's like, well, no, nobody said anything to me personally. Stahl also brings up a phrase where she says, and I'll kind of do a little back and forth. Stahl says, um, to bring up guns now, um, which is part of the culture wars, would be a diversion uh, to some of the other crises that the Obama administration is going through. And the very first time I heard that, it kind of passed over me, the culture wars reference. But it's not a cultural thing. What they're talking about is the Second Amendment. It's a constitutional issue that we're dealing with. And when they say things like culture wars, well, it's, it's like with the, um, oh, I think you can't put Christmas stuff up in the courthouse anymore. You can't, you know, say Merry Christmas to somebody. You have to say Happy Holidays, that type of thing. That's kind of what a culture war is. And that's not what we're talking about here. Again, here we're talking about very basic constitutional, and not constitutional rights. Even that is is kind of a misnomer or a misquote. Basically, the Second Amendment is a constitutional guarantee of our pre-existing right, to self-defense along with some other things but basically it's our our kind of our right to life it says that we have the right to uh defend ourselves as well as you know own firearms and and if the government gets too big for its riches that we would be able to fight off either our government or an invading one Uh, but I, i digress here um getting back to that when Stahl said you know bringing up gun would be bringing up guns would be a diversion feinstein says I agree with you. I wouldn't bring it up right now. Stahl then replies, So you're going to hold off? Feinstein says, That's correct. I'll pick the time and the place. No question about that. So clearly, the assault weapons ban, further uh, restrictive gun control measures are clearly on their agenda. And basically they're saying, We're no dummies. We know if we bring this up now, we're committing political suicide. But maybe in the future, maybe not even four years from now, maybe not even eight years from now. But eventually we'll bring it up, and when the climate is right, we'll be able to get it. We'll take advantage of some crisis or some tragedy, and we'll push this thing through. You know, a lot of other podcasts, and even I had kind of thought, well, maybe that assault weapon ban, is, maybe it'll be on the back burner, but you know, Again, you have to look at the type of people that we're facing. They're dyed-in-the-wool anti-gun. They're not going to give up. They want all guns gone. They don't want anybody to have any type of weapon, again, other than the people that protect them. At the very end of the show, she Leslie Shaw comes on, and she makes this statement. She says that support for stricter gun control is eroding. It was down from 60% in favor and it's, it's actually come down now to 49 percent of people are in favor of stricter gun control laws and a lot of that has to do i think with you know stuff like podcasts also with the internet information is available so quickly and you know not that uh, this show is the be all and end all but i can put out a, I can put this episode out comment on on their segment that they did and uh, theoretically you know uh Two or 3,000 people will be able to listen to this show and listen to this thoughts and either disagree or agree. Um, and maybe it'll help them think about things a little bit differently or see things in a different light. And because we have that ability, we have a, a much better ability to organize and to get information out, our cause and our side is much, much stronger. And a lot of the disinformation that is out there can get shot down quickly. And the real truth and the real information can get out to people. So in conclusion, in looking at the show as a whole, I think that, again, like I would said in the, in the front part of the show, that they had done something that most of the major networks and most of the media, mainstream media would not do. They actually went and got both sides. Whether I thought there was a little bit of twisting here and there, um, to suit their their final agenda, which was I actually thought one of trying to to end private sales uh, of firearms, but I did think that at least they they again they went to our side. They had, they gave him time. We were at least represented, and especially when you compare it to that 2020 special, it's it's night and day. Anyway, just wanted to again throw in my quick two cents there. So I'll go ahead and wrap it up. You guys stay safe. Stay informed. That's where we are at our strongest. When we're informed and we know what's going on. We will save a seat for you at our table at the Firearms Cafe. Well, not for you, Tom or Eric. Ha <laughs> ha. Brr, stick em, high,
1: high, stick em. Brr, stick high, my Stick 'em. Brr, stick em, high, my, stick, stick, stick em. Fresh, gonna and rocky with the fresh, funky rhythm. My, good thing, my, good Why?